0: The AI has determined that you are no longer worthy of your salt. You are to be terminated. Action to start in two seconds. Terminate. Terminate. Terminate with extreme prejudice. Terminate. Here, here's what you gotta do. You
1: gotta not do drugs, children. Don't ever whatever I said earlier. Just don't do them.
2: The drugs. What you did, what- <laughs> it's the Sean Tester Show!
1: <laughs> Calling all listeners. What
0: radio
2: show is
1: this? the Sean Tester Show, of course.
2: Where's that? Where's that? It's just the same thing. At least... At least twice, if it's, it's not three times. Good luck, brother. That sounds like a really, really cool topic. Hope you get some interesting comments. The podcast you do is is a an expression and an outreach from
1: what you do best, Charles. On the beautiful shores of Lake Sawyer in Black Diamond, Washington, it's the Sean Keschner Show. And a quick reminder to our call-in guests, you are being audio recorded, and all audio recordings become property of this show. By participating, you give us explicit permission to use your voice for profit and worldwide distribution on the Internet. Folks, every year, the Maple Valley Food Bank puts on a Thanksgiving celebration. And this year, they're going to hold it at the Lake Wilderness Lodge at the best price possible, free. It's going to be on Sunday, November 24th, from 3 to 5 p.m. And the dinner is going to be produced and catered by Act Three Catering and Sean's Quality Meats. This year's sponsors are the Maple Valley Food Bank, the City of Maple Valley, the Lions Club, Vine Maple Place, and the Maple Valley Rotary. All are welcome. So bring your appetites and come and celebrate and be thankful for yet another year. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by the Sean Teshner Show. Well I received an interesting email from a guest to the Sean Teshner Show. And in the email it said, Hey Mr Teshner, why don't you consider doing a show on hoarding? Hoarding seems to be a big problem in our family, and we're getting tired of trying to counsel our folks about getting rid of stuff, and a lot of them don't realize that all that stuff can become a safety hazard or a public health hazard. My mom's got rats and dead cats in her house. Most of them are mummified and dried up in a corner somewhere. She can't even get in her kitchen she has to eat in a little tiny chair that she's got near a television her bedroom is so crammed she can't even do anything but sleep on a little area on the couch with a blanket and her entire house has become one big fire hazard i just don't know what to do sign jay well jay i don't know if you're a man or a woman but it sounds very similar I know from the things I've seen in the past, I had a friend in college whose mom was a hoarder. I went over to his house one time. He was actually embarrassed to even have me come in because he knew what it was going to be like. And I got upstairs, and there were literally newspapers stacked and magazines from the floor to the ceiling with little trails less than two feet wide going throughout the house so we can make it to the basement door where he went down the wooden stairs to his bedroom in the basement. And one of the first things I thought of was, I wonder what the collapse weight is on the floor upstairs. If you got a little earthquake going, could these floors hold up the amount of weight upstairs from those newspapers? And of course, she, it seemed like with hoarders, what they have to have, and she had cats. Seems like it just goes along with hoarders. People have cats. They're lonely. Or dying of loneliness aside. Maybe it's because the cats will kill the mice and the rats that are in there. I don't know. But the bottom line is he was embarrassed to have me come over to the house. And I could see why. And it seems as if it was only the people who are the kids of the Great Depression which prior to World War II that had this bad habit, or I should say a sickness. And what a lot of them don't realize is how much they're spending each month in property taxes to use their homes as a storage unit rather than a place to actually live. Some of them are living in little hovels as if they're in a wagon train or a gypsy wagon. And you begin to wonder, how can they breathe in there? How can they stand the smells? Do the windows even open? Does the furnace even work? If so, how long has it been since it's been serviced? And you start wondering about black mold growing on the curtains and on the walls because there's no air circulation and the moisture levels build up so these are things i want you all to call in about about your experience of hoarders and we'll see if we can come up with some solutions here on the sean tesher show brandon i want to thank you for calling the sean tesher show to help us regarding the topic this week about hoarding and we're hoping to help Get some professional information regarding the who, what, where, when, why, and how affording, how it affects the people and their families, and is there help available? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. I thank you. Um, You're being audio recorded, and anything that is audio recorded becomes property of the show. Uh, We use it for profit and worldwide distribution on the Internet. Is this okay with you? Yes. Okay, thank you. We're kind of doing this as a public service, this topic. I've grown up in a situation where my mother had a father who went through the Great Depression and saved everything. Uh, His favorite thing to say to everybody was, did you pay your taxes? Because the government can come and take your land and put it on the chopping block, you know. And he'd ask her, did you save your money and don't spend it on foolishness? And hey, that ball of string might come in handy someday. Better hang on to that. That's some good string. (laughs) So his basement was full of old tax records and junk, and uh, luckily I wasn't the one who had to help clean it up, but I can imagine that there are a lot of families out there that do, and I've seen some other families who have parents that were in a similar uh, situation, and you'd have to go through trails through their homes to try and get even to the kitchen or the bathroom or the basement. Sound familiar? Absolutely. What can you share with us? Yeah, we, we've seen all that. Well, it's it's um it's very common.
0: It's a lot more common than what most people think. We probably we probably get a
2: hundred to 150 of those calls every year from a variety of people, uh, family members, property managers, uh, friends, and they all have some similarities to them, but. You know hoarding as a whole is is pretty unique i mean there's there's definitely a mental aspect to it uh what people choose to keep uh, what kind of attachment they have to various things that could be uh heirlooms things that you would think that you know the uh, average person would hold value but then it could also be uh pets garbage uh, stuff such as you know vehicles uh, just, there's really no telling what people are going to keep or, or attach themselves to, but uh, it is very common, and I find that a lot of people that reach out to us are surprised at how prevalent it is out there.
1: Brandon, how did you get involved in helping people with hoarding
0: issues? Well, we've been,
2: we've been helping families in western Washington for about three years, and the company that we're with, uh, we actually help throughout the nation. We, we probably do, you know, 500 to 700 hoarding cleanups a year on various levels. Uh, but for me personally, it was just an opportunity to, uh, work in the community and find an opportunity to engage in people that uh, need help that are going through a tough time. Uh, everybody's got a story. Uh, there's, there's something that's happened in their life. That's, bigger than to have this attachment to their stuff and for us it's an opportunity to get in there and be a positive light when they're going through a dark
1: time. I see. So these people are held hostage by their stuff.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And you know what's interesting about it is most of them know that there's something wrong, that there's an attachment they can't break and they, they want help, they want it fixed, they realize that, that there's an issue, but they just aren't able to get through that on their own. And, and that's where professional help, uh, such as counseling, comes in to help deal the mental aspect of the hoarding.
1: Well, what do you do when somebody doesn't want to get rid of their stuff and say the neighbors start smelling some weird smells coming from next door and begin to wonder if there's a body buried in the backyard or in someone's wall or someone's died inside the house and nobody's seen the neighbor in a year? What, how do the authorities get involved?
2: Well, you, you ask, you know, you got a couple different questions going on there. Uh, you know, first of all, as far as somebody that doesn't recognize they have an issue or doesn't want help in fixing the issue, uh, that's very difficult. You know, you have to remember that uh most cases, they are in a home or a condo that they own. Uh, they, the, the possessions are theirs. Uh, nobody has a right to go in there and, and forcefully make them get rid of them. Um, it's like many other diseases. If, if they don't understand they need help or don't want help, uh, then there's not a lot you can do other than just uh, encourage family members to uh, offer support or offer uh, some help with a psychiatrist uh local counselor that can help them out. And to address the second part of your question, uh, when it becomes a public nuisance, uh, that's typically when the health department will get involved. And when the health department gets involved, uh, then there are steps that they'll take along with uh, first responders, whether it's police or fire, uh, to inspect the home and determine if there's any health risks there. And if there are, then they'll mandate that those risks are remediated before they'll allow an individual to maintain. Uh,
1: I lost you there for a second. Can you you repeat it again? You said that authorities get involved if there's some sort of health risk or health code violations or maybe a structural risk to the property.
2: uh, You have to remember that a lot of people that are living with severe severe hoarding disorder uh, we classify it between a level 1 to level 5. Level 5 being the highest. Uh, Most of them that we encounter are a level 3 to 4 which essentially means uh, the appliances in the home are not functioning. They're not able to use their kitchen, uh, their bathroom. The home is not able to be used for its intended purpose. When that happens and it becomes a public nuisance uh, for a variety of reasons, whether it's a collection of stuff outside or snows or rodent activity, uh, then the health department will typically get involved and they'll use uh, either the fire or police department or local city uh, to come in and inspect it and determine whether it's
1: Have you if it's not? Then that's where we would come in. Have you ever heard of um, in in structural uh, building codes, uh, live loads and dead loads? I am familiar with those. Yes. Okay, for our listeners out there, um, as far as I know, according to the International Residential Building Code, a live load is the measurement of weight on a floor, say a first floor above a basement where you have not only all the person's stuff upstairs, but then you have people walking in. They're live individuals. And that amount of weight coming in has to be calculated into how strong a structure that thing has to be, the thicknesses of wood and how far apart they're spread to handle the weight so the floor doesn't collapse and fill people downstairs. And then there's of course the dead load, which is all the junk uh, minus live people. And if something reaches a a dead load, critical weight, then the floor can collapse and kill people. Uh, that's a rare exception, but it can happen. And the other thing I want to bring up was civil abatement. I know from having seen drug houses taken down by the King County Police back in the 90s, if somebody is causing a public nuisance in the neighborhood and it reaches a, a point where people are afraid for their lives or the house is being used as a drug house or a flop house. The authorities can come in, write a letter to the owner, and say, You have 72 hours to clear this piece of property and get these violations fixed, or else we're going to come in and do what's called a civil abatement. We're going to seize your property and maybe even bulldoze it. And that's worked really well. They closed a lot of drug houses. So I don't know if when you're talking level five, that sounds like the extreme. Um, if that's something that you guys have had to use. Are you, uh, Brandon, are you a, a health worker, or are you a person that just deals with families that colleagues and say, we need this cleaned up?
2: We deal with families uh, directly. We're usually involved with, with contacted by a family member uh, who has entered the home uh, sometimes the first time in a decade or decades and realized what their mother, father, brother, sister are living in, uh, then they'll usually reach out to us to come in. But we don't work or we're not associated with any uh, local government jurisdiction.
1: Are you into mental health, social work?
2: You no, know, we, we partner with them. Uh-huh. Uh, hoarding is a mental health concern. Mm-hmm. So we partner with uh, various agencies throughout the state. But uh, our job typically is to walk individual or the family through the process of uh, remediating the, the hoarding situation, which is a case by case situation how it's dealt with. There there's basically three categories we look at when we go into each home, what can be donated, what needs to be tossed, and what needs to be staged or restructured in the house of the stuff that can be kept. And then when you're talking about uh, walking into a house, you know, say a level Level five, and you're talking about live loads, dead loads. The best way to look at that is your your dead loads in your house. Those are going to be specific to the structure itself. Those are the items that uh, won't move, that are fixed your foundation, your roof, your walls, uh, any ancillary buildings that are attached to it. And then your live loads are anything that can be moved in the home your furniture, of course, uh, you know, human occupancy, uh, appliances, that type of stuff. Uh, and then you also look at outside elements such as the, uh, you know, snow and, uh, anything else that can be placed or pushed up against the home. So when you take that into consideration with the, uh, amount of hoarding that can take place and the fact that, uh, hoarding causes restriction of airflow within the home, which then promotes, uh, mold, rot, mildew, uh,
1: you can have some serious problems there. Oh, especially asthma, I'm thinking about. You're reminding me of the movie, The Great Escape, where they're tunneling under the German camp and they're trying to get rid of all the dirt, and what they can't mix into the soil, they're packing inside the walls or up in the attics of these uh, huts that they're living in until finally the roofs collapse because they can't handle the weight of the dirt anymore. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, when you've been out there, have you ever had to deal with uh, someone who passed away inside of the horde?
2: Uh, they they are private individuals. You know they haven't had people in their home in many years. Uh, some of them in you know, ten plus years. Uh, that really makes the problem worse. Uh, you know over the course of a decade, when you think about maintenance and repairs that need to be taken on a home, uh, furnaces that go out, hot water heaters that go out, uh, you know, that quit working, uh, leaky pipes. Uh, when you take that into consideration and then you have a hoarder to, to embarrass if somebody come in their home, then it's not uncommon for them to pass away in the home and then to come in and, and remediate uh, the
1: home in its entirety at that point. You know, the first thing I thought of was MRSA, um, you know, these uh, germs that it's an infection you can get, and once you get it, you can never get rid of it, and it can kill you. It's like a flesh-eating type of bacteria. How do you guys protect yourselves against things like that?
2: Well, MRSA is just one of them. We also deal with hot uh, due to the substantial amount of rodent activity uh, that we see in these homes. But uh, those are just two of the more common ones. There's a number of uh, diseases out there that we have to be considered. Of uh, hepatitis, um, there's another one. So anytime we go into a location, we have to uh, outfit in gear. P- e is what it's called personal protective equipment and that includes full cool body suits, double booties, double gloves, uh, eye protection and when we remediate a home it's imperative that we continue to maintain our PPE and as we start exposing different areas of the home through remediation you've got to be vigilant on identifying other health or safety factors that can be
1: remediated as well. There was a lady I knew who lived out uh, on a mountaintop not far from Maple Valley, and she was determined to live in her stick-built cabin that she and her husband quote-unquote homesteaded back in the 50s. And this thing is, believe it or not, a cement floor with stockade-style cut logs that have been just nailed together. There's no insulation anywhere in the walls. I've actually been there. Uh, because she asked for some help, she said, you know, I'm having problems with my water heater. It, it kind of sizzles a bit, and my electrical panel starting to heat up, and the voles, that's what she called them, the voles, V-O-L-E-S, were busy chewing through the wires and their cats hanging off the wires. And, of course, they went out there. There must have been 15, 20 cats. Uh, I don't know how many chickens running around the property. And, of course, black bears were becoming a problem because they were eating her chickens and she'd be running around with a 30-30 threatening to kill the bears. Uh, anyway, we went up there, and sure enough, her water heater was barely grounded. Uh, if you had touched the outer casing of it, you would have been electrocuted. Uh, her, her panel was so hot that the screw-in fuses and the what I call shotgun shell-style fuses were actually cracking and, and starting to uh, p- the powder come out of them. Uh, Some of them were so hot you couldn't touch them. And so I got together with a buddy of mine and we threw together what electrical panel and equipment we had left over from, you know, having rebuilt houses. And we went out there and put a new panel in for us so the place wouldn't burn down. But she still lives like that. She'll spend more money from her Social Security on feeding her horse uh, and her chickens than she will herself. She heats the place of firewood that the church she goes to cuts and then donates to her and I still don't understand how she's made it she's like 80 years old and her knees barely work and her kids have even offered to give her a mobile home and have it dragged up to her property but she says no the place only has to last one day past me being alive then you can go ahead and bulldoze it it's just an attitude you know and the thing I think yeah go ahead and that's something that uh, you know is, is
0: quite common as we go through and
2: see the different stories with the different families it is very prevalent uh, that's that's how they view it uh, they they have an attachment to what they have they put a amount of importance on things that you know is a common person but otherwise uh, he as being unimportant or insignificant and in, in some cases uh, it doesn't have anything to do with, uh, financial ability or, uh, physical limitations, uh, to clean it up. Uh, they're able to do both in many instances. Uh, but it's that attachment that prevents them from doing so. And whether it's a health risk, as you describe in your, uh, you know, electrical situation, or it's, uh, you know, a, a rotting roof structure that's caving in, a house leaking, uh, we've been in homes where they have paved up. Plastic on the ceiling to divert water that's coming in the master bedroom uh, to prevent it from dripping on the bed, and basically mm-hmm. allowing the water to shut off mm-hmm. into corners of the home. Uh, we've been in homes that have had sections of the house uh, literally torn like a sheet of paper, where it, it has been ripped apart, and there have been two or three foot wide gaps in the home where it's ripped and it's settled. Uh, due to rot, and, and they're still living in those homes. And, um, it's, it's just incredible to see. Oh
1: my God! You know, what this disease can do to people, and how it can alter their uh, perception of a quality of life. Yeah, it's, it almost sounds like a drug den style house, and some of the homes I've seen when I worked as a little paper carrier in Seattle. Um, but yeah, generation to generation, poverty I think is a huge issue. Uh, and people saying, well, I need it now, or I may not need it now, but I'm definitely going to need this later. They find some use for whatever they hold on to, or potential use, uh, as if they're MacGyver, and they're going to build something out of their string and their old pots and pans and make it work. Uh, but their quality of life is right in the toilet, and they don't realize it. And I've, I've walked in on places where there are pizza boxes stacked, and old food left in refrigerators. Uh, Dishes never done, still piled in the sink with with gobs of mold and stuff growing on the grease and uh, toilets that were so black you'd think that they had put shoe polish in them. Uh, Just unbelievable living conditions. And What I want to find out from you, Brandon, is what can people do family-wise to deal with um, the shock that they go through when they realize somebody in their family's has reached this level and the guilt sets in on them that they didn't do anything to intervene in crime or the parents died in the in the horde and their mummified bodies found a year later. And, I mean, you read stories about the neighbors didn't know that Mrs. So-and-so, who came from Germany after World War II and had lived on that street forever, had died six years ago, and just now somebody peeked through a window and saw her body shriveled up on the couch, you know, mummified. As an example. And people say, well, wow, couldn't check on my neighbors, you know. Anyway, how how do those families deal with the shock and the guilt?
2: Well, Well, I think one thing that's important to remember is these individuals that are dealing with this hoarding disorder, no matter when you find out, or many of them suspect, but they don't understand how severe it is, You can't help somebody that doesn't want help. That's that's a call that we get all the time. Uh, They'll say, my mom, my brother, my sister, uh, I just stopped by their house. It is a much worse condition than what I expected, and we need your help. One of the first things that I ask them is, does your mom want help? Does your family member want help? Does the individual want help? Because that's that's critical. Uh, Like any other disease, alcoholism or any other mental illness, if they don't recognize that they're the problem, or they don't want help, there's very little that you can do other than just uh, reach out to counselors and/or uh, any type of support group, whether it be a you know church or an organization that specializes uh, in hoarding disorders uh, and the, the participation of the hoarder
1: themselves. You know, so,
2: I guess the first
1: Brandon, my first thought is. Uh, I, as a teacher, am a mandated reporter any time I hear of children being possibly abused in any way, emotionally or sexually or physically, and we have to report that to the state. Are you also a mandated reporter? No, we're not. Okay. No, we're
2: not. And part of what we have to offer is giving somebody a safe place to reach out. Um, Nobody talk about you know the guilt of finding out that a family member has been living in a sanitary home for a number of years well there's also the possibility where they call somebody and somebody looks in somebody from the outside and goes you know this you can't live here and we're going to go report you to the health department um
1: Basically, the the home can be red-tagged by the uh, building department until it's brought up to a condition where it's safe to live there. Um, Flushing toilets, um, things cleaned up, no rodents, no garbage, that kind of stuff. No black mold, uh, proper roof, etc. And I, I think this condition, Brandon, is going to get worse with the economy because you've got a lot of children who either are failing to launch in their 20s and still living in their basement at their parents' home, or they've moved in with Grandma and Grandpa because Mom and Dad are now on heroin, or um, they look for a money source, an easy money source, and then when the money's all used up, Grandma and Grandpa are the last people on the uh, surviving twister board, and uh, nothing much left for them, you know, except to shrivel up and die in a corner somewhere. Uh, my first thought is, who pays for all these cleanups? Is there insurance that pays for it? Are there grants? I mean, families don't have this kind of money, I'm sure, just to come up with. I mean, I just to bury someone's like ten thousand dollars. Can't imagine what a cleanup would cost. You have any idea? Great. Well,
2: as far as uh, payment, there are very few organizations that are going to be able to have the power or the ability or the experience to go in and uh, clean or remediate a hoarding situation. Uh, we have had some success with uh, local DAs uh, reaching out and getting volunteer groups. There has been circumstances where local church organizations would come in and help. Mm-hmm. But even in those situations, they typically hire professional companies to come in and support them or guide them uh, and that what they're doing.
1: A big help today. You've answered a lot of key questions, and I want to see if there's a number that we can put on this podcast so people can reach out to you if you're willing, or you can direct them somewhere to get this kind of help. Because I know after that, you hang up, the phone lines are going to light up, the email's going to explode, and I know these people feel desperate and. Short of going to Habitat for Humanity and asking for help, and I know they don't deal with this kind of stuff. They only help build homes for the poor. I know there's going to be an explosion in this. Um, most old folks want to hold on to this stuff they can't even afford to put it in storage, and I always get upset when I see that because storage itself, you know, if it's a hundred bucks a month and they're holding on to their hoard, you know, over a year they've just spent um, twelve hundred bucks just to hold on to their junk, junk they don't use anymore. And you mentioned separating it into piles, you know, I had to deal with a family right after murder-suicide where we had to go in and in two weeks clean up the whole house and a couple storage units, and, you know, it was put everything on the lawn, hopefully during good weather, separated into garbage pile, goodwill pile, and what are we going to keep pile and who gets what, and the rest went to storage. So, yeah, those things are difficult to go through. Um, As I said, I'm wondering how much counseling is available for the people who have to deal with it. Because I know myself, since my parents are in their mid-80s, just watching them get old and fall apart, I have to deal with the guilt of, well, was I there enough? Could I have done more? Was I earning enough money to hire a caregiver for them if I couldn't be there, etc.? So your industry that you work in, you even mentioned best practices. That tells me right there you're a very educated man, Uh, you're a professional, you do know what you're talking about, and I think that's great. Of all the people that I could have had today on the show, you've been the best, and I want to thank you for that. If you have any information you'd like to share, we'll go ahead and share that with our listeners now.
2: the extensive work that may or may not be required for your particular home, Uh, to contact us, that number is
1: 360-305-3262, and that would be found
2: under Northwest40.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, Brandon, you've been a big help today. I consider this a public service as well as spiritual service, a lot of people that i talk to that go to different churches, they'll talk about different teams they join, or outreach ministries, and to me this would be considered an outreach ministry. I know you're a force for good, and not many people can go to work every day and feel good about what they're doing, and I think that's an awesome job you have. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from your help, and you can go to bed at night knowing you did some good. I think that's great. And I appreciate you being on this podcast so we can reach out to more people and, and continue the good, kind of pay it forward. Absolutely. Well,
2: I appreciate you having me on the show, Sean. All right. Well, I look
1: forward to hearing from you again sometime. Again, our number here on the Sean Tester Show is 425 247 8827. If you want to reach us with your email comments, our email is trashner at hotmail.com. That's Trashner at Hotmail.com. And the reason it's spelled that way, when I taught school, the kids couldn't pronounce or spell my German last name, which is Teschner. So they called me Mr. Trashner or Mr. T, and it kind of stuck. So that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. I do check the email frequently. Again, if you decide to call me or text me, I will respond. And look forward to people introducing other show topics here on The Sean Teschner Show. Thank you again, Brandon. Okay, Brandon, as you know, and as it says on our show, if you're going to leave the dad shack, you have to be processed properly. That means you can go out with a toilet flush, a mafia hit with two to the back of the head, or zombies chasing you. What's your pick? Well, Sean, let's go with a good old toilet flush. All right, here we go. Thanks for participating.
0: The AI has determined that you are no longer worthy of your salt. You are to be terminated. Action to start in two seconds. Terminate. Terminate. Terminate with extreme prejudice. Terminate.
2: I, I left something from the show. This podcast you do is is a an expression and an outreach from what you do best, Sean. Huh?
0: Nobody's going to tell me how to run Jersey. Jersey's our city, Polly. I want you to plant them like corn. Take them out and take care of business. I'm not putting up with any more of this. And neither should you.